It's rare that we take the time to understand our life, to understand ourselves and our life. It's the point of insight meditation, to understand and to be free. Sometimes at the end of the first day, or almost at the end of the first day of a retreat, it's hard to imagine how the Buddha discovered freedom or inner freedom. What we see mostly is how we're not free. We may see how frequently the mind wanders or becomes lost. We may struggle with restlessness or sleepiness. Or maybe we see how many judgments there are in the mind about ourselves or about others. Or how much we argue with ourselves. Or sometimes we're even arguing with people who aren't even in the room. We may even wonder Why did we come on this retreat in the first place? Maybe I should have gone on vacation this weekend. Or perhaps sometimes we even struggle with coming into the hall and meditating at all. And so on, you get the idea. Maybe you, some of you have read or heard that a teacher say that this is the path that leads to the highest happiness and the highest happiness is that of peace. And maybe you're wondering, is this the path of peace? Where is that peace? Well, awareness and the suffering involved in life is what led the Buddha to deeply question how we can find inner freedom. Given that, tonight I want to talk about the Buddha's life the power of mindfulness and inner freedom. So as the story goes, as it's been told, before the Buddha became the Buddha, he was a prince, Prince Siddhartha. When he was born, his parents, following in the tradition of the time, contacted or consulted with a prophecy from a sage. The sage predicted that the prince would either become a king and a great ruler, or he would renounce the world and become a Buddha. No surprise. The king wanted his son to be a king, just like him. Therefore, he ordered the prince to be surrounded with every pleasure that's possible. The king provided the young prince with different palaces to live in in each season. Delicious foods, jewels, musicians, dancers, companions, beautiful companions, lovers, you name it. He had it. The king wanted to create a life so fantastic so spectacular that the prince would never want to leave it. The king went so far as to rid the palace of anything that was unpleasant. So as the story goes, while the prince slept, 
The king had gardeners going into the garden, taking out any wilting flowers or <laughs> drying up leaves. So everywhere that the prince went, he was surrounded by the young, the beautiful, and the pleasing. The king, being the king, and as you can tell, a little bit obsessive, did not allow the prince to come into contact with anyone who was sick, anyone who was old, and anyone who was dying. When the prince went into the city, all the people who were sick or old or dying or suffering in any way were kept hidden from his view. Now, I know this seems a little bit far-fetched, but the king was so afraid that if the prince saw these things, he would question his life and renounce the world and become a Buddha. <clears throat> it has been said that when Siddhartha was 29 years old, he decided, you know, I'm going to leave the palace. I'm going to go into the city. So he went with his charioteer, and the charioteer's name was Chana. According to the legend, and please remember that a legend is a myth, or perhaps it's a teaching for us to ponder. So according to the legend, when the prince went into the city, there were four heavenly messengers or celestial beings that came to him. The first was a man who was covered with sores. What's wrong with him? asked the prince. Chana told him that the man was sick. What's sick? asked the prince. Well, the body is subject to disease and decay. Even me? asked the shocked prince. Yes, even you, answered Chana. The second was a man who had gray hair. He was missing some teeth. He had a lot of wrinkles and he was kind of hunched over. Chana, what is wrong with this man? That prince is old age. Everyone grows old. Even me? asked the startled prince. Yes, even you, patiently answered Chana. The third was a corpse in the road. Chana, <clears throat> Chana this man, he's not, he's not breathing. He's not moving. No, sir, he is dead. Dead? What's dead? asked the stunned prince. Chana answered, death cannot be escaped. Everyone you, die, everyone you know will die, even you. Well, each time the prince was shaken because he had never seen sickness, aging, or death. Each time he reflected on what he observed and that this is the fate of all who take birth, to grow old, to get sick, and to die. The last messenger was a wandering monk. Siddhartha asked, who is this? So peaceful, so radiant, so at home in the world. Chana answered that he was someone who renounced the world in order to seek the ultimate truth of all things, to seek liberation and inner freedom. 
These messengers awakened in the prince a very deep sense of inquiry. He inquired as to the dissatisfaction with all the fleeting pleasures in life. Believe me, he had them all. He also reflected on the profound sufferings of life, sickness, aging, and death. The fourth messenger also awakened the curiosity and the interest in him in freedom, in lasting happiness, that it is possible for everyone. The prince questioned, why should I, who is subject to decay and death, also seek that which is subject to decay and death? What is it that is born? What is it that dies? Some good questions. <clears throat> After Siddhartha encountered the four messengers, he experienced a deep and profound yearning for liberation and for freedom. So the prince left the palace with all its ease and all its pleasures to seek out this liberation and to seek out this freedom. He came upon some teachers who taught him meditation and apparently he excelled rather rapidly. Then he spent six years practicing severe austerity and, and harsh ascetic practices, which were quite common at the time. These practices included torturing the body and starving the body. He believed that the world was a prison, so he attempted to escape the body and the heart and the mind and the world. It's said that he deprived himself of food, eating only one grain of rice per day. He disregarded his mind and he tried to force it into submission through his will. He tried to, you know, go beyond his heart in some way. So he lived alone in seclusion, avoiding contact with everyone and the world. What he discovered <clears throat> was that he could not, he could not subdue the self and he could not suppress these defilements in the mind. The defilements are greed, hatred, and delusion. He couldn't do it. He tried the best he could. He began to realize, hey, you know, I don't think this is the way to freedom. This is not the way to end suffering. He was just becoming frailer and weaker and near death from starvation. Then a woman came and she offered him some food. And this simple, small act of compassion awoke in him this deep realization that liberation must be found in the midst of life. It's not found from escaping life. He deeply understood that it was not the world that he needed to go beyond, but the misunderstandings that uh, or the um, way that his mind was confined or imprisoned, these misunderstandings really um, hindered his heart and his mind. He realized <clears throat> the path of mindfulness. 
He learned that the key to freedom is offered in each breath, each step, each thought, each feeling, each sound, each smell, each sight, and each taste. Just this moment, just this moment, just this moment. He had sought freedom in every place possible, except exactly where he was. Does this sound like us? He realized that freedom is not found in self-indulgence or in self-denial. Freedom is not found in avoidance. It's not found in fantasy. It's not found in striving, but through a wholehearted attention to this very moment. The present moment is where he would find the freedom that he deeply longed for, that he deeply sought. Freedom is found in each moment through directly experiencing the moment that we are in. He understood that freedom was not departing this world, but turning towards this world and turning towards this moment with mindfulness. It has been said that mindfulness is the means and the end. Mindfulness is the path and the destination. So really to reduce the story, <laughs> to complete the story, he sat under the Bodhi tree and he resolved not to get up until he completely woke <coughs> up, until he uh, awakened or was enlightened, which you know he did. So what can we actually learn from this story about the Buddha's life? Is this story that was over 2,500 years ago relevant to us today in the 21st century? Well, the first thing that we can look at closely is this question. Are we all subject to the fate of growing old, getting sick, and dying? Well, from the moment that we're born, we're beginning to age. All of us in this room have been sick. In fact, some of us in this room at this moment may be sick. And of course, all of us are going to die. <clears throat> the simple truths are that life is fleeting and that death, it's unavoidable. Everyone will die. How long we have is uncertain. There are many causes of death, so death is inevitable. Obviously, this is true for each of us and for everyone that we know. The second area <clears throat> that we can explore is this question of what is it that we deeply yearn for? What is our deepest aspiration? Is it an end to suffering? Is it freedom? Is it happiness? Is it peace? Well, I know this is a personal question, but it's something that brought you here this weekend. There's a reason that you all came. 
For some people, they see real dissatisfaction in life. And for other people, they may actually have this sense that um, there's something that they haven't tapped yet. There's some potential that hasn't been seen, that they know is there. In the story, the Buddha discovered what Michael was beginning to talk about was the middle path. He learned that extremes do not bring freedom, do not bring happiness or peace. He learned that the sense pleasures did not bring freedom, did not bring lasting happiness or peace. He also learned that denying the body and the mind and the heart, it can't bring freedom, happiness, or peace. So what does bring happiness, freedom, or peace, or inner peace? This is an extremely essential contemplation. You have to look directly within and discover for yourself the answer to that question. What leads to ease and happiness, freedom, and what leads to anxiety, fear, disconnection, and confusion? Wisdom, it's being able to discern the difference, knowing what needs to be cultivated and nurtured, and understanding what needs to be let go of. Lastly, the Buddha found that freedom can only be found in the present moment. The Buddha understood that the key to freeing ourselves in the present moment rests in cultivating one quality, mindfulness. Well, Michael's been talking about mindfulness quite a bit. So what is it? What is mindfulness? Mindfulness is the capacity that we all have to know ourselves. Mindfulness is the cultivation of clear, non-judgmental awareness. Mindfulness means to be with or to connect with our experience without judging or comparing, evaluating, elaborating, embellishing, commenting, (laughs) fixing, or trying to change it. Mindfulness, it's 100% attention. It's bringing our whole heart, bringing our whole mind to whatever's happening in the present moment. It's a total commitment. There's no separation. There's no fragmentation. There's no fleeing the moment. It's simply to be with experience just as it is. So this attitude of non-judgmental observing, allowing our experiences to happen or to flow in a natural way to see them, to observe them, to learn about ourselves and our lives so we can understand. We can understand our lives and the mind-body process. Mindfulness or awareness, it doesn't resist, it doesn't cling to anything. Mindfulness is seeing clearly the truth of our experience in each moment. So for example, we're sitting here, 
and we notice restlessness is happening. Okay, so we're aware that restlessness is occurring. Restlessness feels like this. Mindfulness doesn't compare. Wow, look at everybody else. They're sitting so still. I'm the only one in the hall who's going out of my skin. Mindfulness is a non-verbal contact or connection with our experience. Let me repeat that. Mindfulness is a non-verbal connection or contact with our experience. Mindfulness, as Michael was saying, it's not thinking. Thinking, it's a fabulous human activity. But as Michael was saying, it's a limited way that we view the world. It's really important to understand that mindfulness, it's not thinking, it's not commenting on or describing our experience, and it's not being lost in the stories of our lives. Mindfulness, it's directly looking at our experience without clinging or trying to hold on to the experience or trying to make it last. It's not pushing away our experience or trying to get rid of it or condemning or pretending what's happening isn't happening or maybe even denying our experience in some way. Mindfulness, it's non-identification. Mindfulness takes place without self-referencing. Now we talked about this in the Q&A a little bit, but I'd like to touch on it again. So today, have you noticed how fascinated we are with ourselves? Be honest, have you seen that? Have you noticed how everything refers back to me? Have you noticed it's to my experience, to my life, back to the story or the movie of me? Have you noticed today how often you identified with your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings? So let's let's take a look at that. So you're sitting, and maybe a moment of calm arises. Ah, I'm a calm person. Or maybe a moment of sadness arises. I'm a sad person. And then in the very next moment, a moment of irritation arises. I'm an angry person. With inquiry and mindfulness, moment to moment, we learn that all experiences are not us, but passing phenomena. Mindfulness gives us a larger perspective. So rather than attaching to thoughts, emotions, feelings, sensations as who we are, so whatever's occurring, Whatever's happening, we're seeing it's arising, it has a life, it passes away, rather than me or mine. When we try to push anything away, when we try to hold on to anything, when we identify with anything, the result of this, it only leads to suffering. In the present moment, with mindfulness, we meet ourselves again and again and again. We begin to experience ourselves 
in an unbiased way. We see all those dignified, all those wonderful, all those honorable aspects and qualities of ourself. And you know what? We also see all those shocking and not so wonderful qualities and aspects of ourself. Sometimes it's described as seeing one insult after another. In practice, Michael and I have been talking about cultivating a continuity of mindfulness. You've heard that phrase many times in the last 24 hours. And this is a way into peace and into inner freedom. Now, there are four foundations or four areas that we can be mindful of. We can be aware of the body, and we've been doing that quite a bit. So I'll just give you a little example. I'll just give you little examples of these. So in the body, we can be aware of the postures of the body, which you know you've been doing. We can be aware of sitting, standing, walking, lying down. We can be aware of feelings. And in that's the second foundation. And in feelings, we don't mean emotions. We mean if an experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. <clears throat> and then the third foundation of mindfulness is we can be aware of mental states. So some examples of that, that includes all those thoughts and emotions and moods. And the fourth foundation of mindfulness is known as the laws of nature or the laws of experience. So an example of that would be impermanence or that everything is changing. Okay, so I just gave you a whole lot there. So so how do we practice mindfulness? Here it is, simply by relaxing and being present, knowing what's happening from moment to moment. But so often we're lost. We're lost in thinking, thinking about the past, thinking about the future, instead of relating to or opening to our experience of, or whatever's happening in the moment. So with mindfulness, we are able to see clearly, more clearly, our thoughts, our emotions, our habits of mind. I've read, I don't know if this is true, but I've read that each of us has over 67,000 thoughts per day. Peace, it doesn't come from the absence of these thoughts, but it comes from not being led around by them or not um, adding to them or dwelling in them. Often, beginning meditators believe that they shouldn't have any thoughts at all, or maybe they should try to get rid of them. This is not so. (laughs) This is not so. Mindfulness is about not dwelling in the thoughts that arise. You can't control what arises, but you can control if you dwell in it. So with mindfulness, we question our thoughts, our emotions. So rather than believing every thought, every emotion that arises, rather than believing that thoughts and emotions are a description of who we are or how things are, we, we look more closely and we see into their insubstantial nature. 
we understand that they're not solid, that they are not who we are or how things are. So let's go back to that sadness example for just a moment. So here we are, we're sitting, and this emotion of sadness comes up in a sitting. The thought is then, I'm a sad person. I've always been a sad person. So instead of claiming that sadness as who we are or how things are, we could actually do something different. (laughs) We could feel sadness arising. We could observe the sadness. Sadness feels like this in the body. Sadness feels like this in the mind. Opening to, allowing for, and receiving the sadness. Emotions and thoughts, they have a life. They arise, they have a life, and they pass away. When we're mindful, when we're present, the mind is unified, it's collected. There's no problem. However, when we're not mindful, we struggle, we argue, we separate. There's a lack of peace and ease. The biggest obstacle to mindfulness is habit. Michael was talking a little bit about habits earlier. When we're lost in habit, we move our attention away or we withdraw our attention away from the present moment. And then we actually miss the opportunity to learn in that moment. Habits can include judging or condemning, comparing or evaluating, planning or worrying, fantasizing. We're trying to fix ourselves. Or did you notice you tried to fix someone else? So just for a moment, we could pick any of these and look at them a little more deeply. But let's take a moment. Let's reflect on fantasy. Okay, just for a moment. With fantasy, I'd say that there is a dissatisfaction with the present moment. Something is lacking in the moment. When the heart and mind go into fantasy, we get lost. We can't stay in fantasy forever. We have to return to the present moment. And then what? We may return and we're kind of disappointed because the fantasy wasn't real. But you know what? That dissatisfaction, that was real. We can, with mindfulness, turn towards the dissatisfaction. We can open to it and we can learn from it. I want to share with you a story (coughs) about my first long retreat that I went on. I had this recurring fantasy. I don't know why I had this fantasy, and it's kind of embarrassing. (coughs) I'm going to tell it to you anyway. I had this recurring fantasy that my partner, when I returned home from the retreat, was going to have made me wheat-free eclairs. They were going to be waiting for me. I don't know. Well, it was pretty obsessive. (laughs) At some point, instead of continuing on and on with this fantasy, how I was going to walk in, they were going to be on the kitchen table, you know, you can imagine I played this out quite well. 
there was a willingness to um, turn and to open and to see what was, hap- what was happening in the moment. There was a dissatisfaction. There was an incredible loneliness that I was experiencing. There was a real aching, an aching in the heart. <clears throat> and, it's, and it needed a lot of attention. <laughs> I needed to turn the attention right there and to experience that ache. That kind of seemed endless, but it wasn't. As soon as I was able to observe and allow for that dissatisfaction, that loneliness, that ache, it's so funny. It's the fantasy just popped. And I didn't ever have that fantasy, but I did. I just want you to know I had it for a month. <laughs> Thank goodness there were two more months of the retreat. So I want you to know, FYI, when I came home, there were no eclairs. But I did tell my partner about the eclair story. <laughs> and so the next time I went on retreat when I came home, she had the eclairs on the table. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? <clears throat> so when we're lost in habit, we remove our attention. We move our attention away from the moment. Or we, withdra- we withdraw our attention away from the present moment. And then we, we miss the opportunity to learn in the moment. So let's just take this, these habits of mind. Let's look just a little more closely, okay? If, an, if you're having an experience, so a sight, a sound, a smell, a taste, a thought, an emotion, a sensation, if that experience is pleasant, we tend to move towards it. We hold on. We cling. If the experience the sight, the sound, the smell, the taste, the thought, the emotion, the sensation is unpleasant. We tend to move away from it, to push it away or to try in some way to get rid of it. If we have an experience, a sight, a sound, a smell, a thought, a taste, an emotion, a sensation, if it's neutral, we tend not to notice it. We tend to space out. It's funny, we're present for some moments, but not for all the moments. And then often, of course, we identify with our experience as who we are or how things are. My knee pain, my neck pain. So let's look at an example from today. So we're sitting and we're mindfully breathing and we know that breathing is happening, okay? Most of us have that experience today. And we're with a couple of breaths, and then we begin to say to ourselves, hey, this is going pretty well. I'm doing pretty good. Maybe I should sign up for that three-month retreat. Maybe I should be a nun. How about a monk? Okay, what's happening there? We're having a pleasant moment, and then we're evaluating it, and we're identifying, right? Okay, here's another example. We're sitting and mindfully breathing, and we know that breathing is happening. We're with a couple of breaths, and then we say to ourselves, hey, I can't do this. Everyone else is on the breath, but I can't do it. I should have gone on that yoga retreat. We're having an unpleasant moment, and then some judgment, and then identification. Or we're sitting mindfully, and we're um, breathing, and we know that breathing is happening. We're with a couple of breaths, and we say to ourselves, huh, where was I? 
What just happened? Oh, I'm just really spacey. I wonder if something else is going to happen. This is a neutral experience, and then we're confused, and then we're identifying. It's fascinating to observe the obstacles to mindfulness, the obstacles or the habits of mind that we repeatedly get caught in over and over again. One of the biggest obstacles to mindfulness is an obsession that we have with pleasant experiences. We constantly want to seek out pleasure and to avoid pain. Often, when we're lost in this habit, we fantasize about that perfect moment that's going to happen sometime in the future. And sometimes we even say to ourselves, if only I had this fill in the blank, then I'd really be happy. Our continual fascination with pleasure, it actually has a component or an element of fear within it. The fear of being crushed or overwhelmed by challenging thoughts, by emotions or sensations or feelings. We are so busy grasping after and chasing after pleasure and avoiding pain that we forget, we forget that inner freedom rests in opening to our life, to our entire life in this moment. Life is made up of pleasant experiences, unpleasant experiences, and neutral experiences. So bringing a wholehearted, kind attention to whatever is happening. We cannot control life. We cannot just have pleasant moments. If we could, we surely would. I bet you all know that intellectually. Yet we try again and again and again to seek happiness in that which cannot last which does not last. We may get a couple of moments of relief, but that can't last. In this practice, we learn that pleasure is different than joy. In this practice, we realize that mindfulness, that lasting happiness, that freedom can only be found within. So as I said, we cannot control life. Again, this is a big habit. In this practice, we learn deeply that trying to control life or clinging to the moment will not make it last. That pushing away or trying to get rid of the moment or something only makes it stronger. Michael said this earlier. It's sort of counterintuitive, or I've also heard it as a uh, (laughs) spiritual you know, law that anything that we push away or try to get rid of only makes whatever it is stronger. There are no guarantees in this life. As we begin to understand the nature of life, the nature of change, of impermanence, we can live our lives with less inner struggle, less inner arguments, less inner conflicts. 
we can live with more peace, more ease, and more joy. In understanding change, just like the Buddha, we learn to let go. That everything that is born will die. That everything that arises will pass away. There are absolutely no exceptions. Each time we cling or grasp or hold on to a thought, emotion, experience, feeling, sensation, we suffer. Mindfulness, it's not interfering, it's not clinging, and it's not dwelling anywhere. We learn that mindfulness can actually protect us. Mindfulness, if we cultivate it, it escorts us, it accompanies us through life. Mindfulness, it offers balance. It offers a refuge in this ever-changing world. The heart of mindfulness practice is the development of wisdom. Wisdom understands the truth of change so that we can live in harmony with how things are. We're able to find peace in the midst of all of the changes in life. And then we learn to trust that understanding. We realize fully that it is not what is happening that brings peace, but what our relationship is to what's happening. This is what Michael said. So on my very first retreat, not the long one, I have to have another food story. I don't know why. This was a food kind of day. So I want to tell you that uh, how I was relating to the food. There were so many judgments that arose in this mind. So much identification. So upon having a pleasant taste, the thoughts were relentless, and they went something like this. This food is fantastic. I wonder if I could go up and get seconds. I could eat this every day. I wonder if I could make this at home. Did I take too much? Did I take too little? Did I leave enough for anyone else? Will I be hungry later? Am I eating too fast? Am I eating too slow? Is this what's meant by mindful eating? Am I eating right? So I eventually got to the end of my meal, and then I stood up to wash my dish. You guys, you're so lucky you have these nice new tables but they used to be these old tables, and your bowl would stick to the table. So I would stand up. I stood up first retreat, and I go to pick up my bowl. I can't get it up. I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't even lift the bowl. And I'm trying to get it up, can't get it up, can't, you know, I'm like in struggle with picking up a bowl. I know this sounds ridiculous, but it's really true. It did stick. So I'm doing this struggle, kind of funny now, and then my fork falls on the floor. Horrors, let me tell you. And then there was the emotional storm about being a jerk, about not being able to meditate right, self-condemnation, you know, um, what's wrong with me? You get it. You know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so I'd just like to ask you to reflect if any of you had an emotional storm in the last period of time. The questions I really wish I had been able to ask myself in that moment when the mind and heart felt like it could shrink and wanted to shrink underneath that bowl was, 
Am I any happier? Am I any freer? Am I any more at peace? Does this, you know, emotional storm serve me in any way? In this practice, we realize fully that it's not what is happening that brings peace, but uh, what our relationship is to what's happening. So with habits of judgment, blame, and aversion, we understand that that we not only put ourselves in the past, but we put others in the past as well. We limit, we confine ourselves and others. We actually imprison ourselves. We make ourselves and others static, solid, and actually stuck in time. So bringing mindfulness to the moments of habit, we can actually transform the moment. (coughs) We're cultivating our capacity to see clearly. Mindfulness is being present with things as they are. The purpose of insight is developed through mindfulness. It helps us to awaken these habits and to awaken and to liberate us from all these entanglements, our thoughts, our beliefs, our prejudice, our habits, our biases. These things, they block and hide um, our ability to see things as they really are. It's developing the trust to be with things as they are, to know life fully, to understand life. We have to learn that we need to cultivate an inner stillness, an inner spaciousness. And then we let life, we listen and we let life reveal itself to us, rather than this habit we have of making assumptions, creating views and opinions, and drawing conclusions. I don't know, since most of you are new, you probably never heard about VR, but I'm going to give you an update. VR stands for Vipassana Romance and Vipassana Revenge. So often on a retreat, we create stories, opinions, views about others based on what? We may find that we're really attracted to someone because of the way they walk, because they open the door for us, because they smiled at us. And then we nurture you know, these wonderful thoughts and feelings about him or her. And the next scene, we're hooking up with them and we're in a relationship. On the other hand, we may find a strong dislike for someone based on what? That he or she made it to the shower before us? That they appeared to cut us off in line for breakfast? That they took that incredible walking spot? And then we think that they're selfish. And so we nurture these opinions and views, uncaring, kind thoughts about him or her. Habits arise from so many past mind moments. We can't untangle them all, you know, instantaneously, but we can learn and understand and care for them one moment at a time. In one moment, we can start to understand what leads to distress, conflict, struggle, and what leads to ease, ease, peace, and happiness, calmness, and inner balance. Patience, it's patience that is the foundation for caring for habits. Patience, it's an incredible act of kindness. We all have moments 
that we get lost in stories, fears, worries, fantasies. And yet, we can always begin again and again and again with openness and with balance. So, for instance, if we find ourselves in pain or, or discomfort, our habit, our tendency, usually is to tense up around that discomfort or that pain. But there's another way. What we can do is in a kind, patient, gentle way, we can connect with what is happening. We can relax. We can soften. We can make room for. We can allow for the pain and the discomfort. The practice is not to be overwhelmed by pain, but to actually care for it in each moment. Another thing is if we find ourselves frustrated with ourselves or with someone else, it's that moment, that very moment of frustration that we're invited to open our hearts and to soften our resistance. The path of meditation is one of waking up. It's a path of being present, not living our lives in habit. It's a path of skillful means. I'd like to read you this very brief poem. It's called An Autobiography in Five Short Chapters by Portia Nelson. Chapter one, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes me forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. (laughs) This is a path of discovering what leads to calm, ease, peace, and what leads to anxiety, confusion, and distress. Wisdom and compassion are being able to discern this difference and then knowing what we need to cultivate and nurture and what and what we need to let go of this path is about inner freedom freedom is simply the art of letting go of suffering freedom is being with life just as it is there's a zen quote may we exist like a lotus at home in muddy water thus we bow to life as it is May we exist like a lotus at home in muddy water. Thus we bow to life, just as it is. In order to develop wisdom and compassion, there is only one thing required, to be mindful of what is happening in the present moment. (coughs) I heard that the Thai teacher Ajahn Chai used to say, no matter what was happening, keep it simple and stick to the present moment. 
The practice is to be mindful in all of the changes occurring in the body, in the mind, without clinging or holding on, without condemning or pushing away, without claiming or identifying. This is the path. It's simple. Relaxing, observing, and letting things be. Being with the flow of life, the flow of nature, from moment to moment. There's a Zen proverb, sitting quietly, doing nothing. Spring comes and the grass grows green by itself. Sitting quietly, doing nothing. Spring comes and the grass grows green by itself. Everything in life is interdependent. The conditions of our lives are constantly changing. The conditions of our lives are constantly uncertain. The conditions of our lives are constantly influencing and affecting our experience of each moment. We're not powerless. We're not always in control of these conditions, but we're not powerless either. The seeds of peace, the seeds of wisdom, the seeds of compassion, they actually lie in the mindful presence that we bring to each and every moment. The heart of mindfulness practice is the understanding of ourselves and of our lives. It's the understanding that frees us from the limitations of our habits, of our conditioning. Out of mindfulness, out of clarity, mindful clarity, we begin to inquire, to investigate what's actually happening. From this investigation, the insights or intuitive understandings arise Wisdom develops, compassion develops. They're like two wings of a bird. The transforming understanding of change, of suffering, of the cause and the end of suffering, this is the wisdom of mindfulness. Mindfulness is born each and every moment we turn our attention to where we are. Wisdom is the capacity to see clearly and directly, without fabrications, without concoctions, without misrepresentations or distortions, to see ourselves, our lives, and our relationships, to see directly what we are doing without, you know, being distorted by our fears and our desires. Wisdom leads to the understanding of what brings ease, peace, and inner freedom. It's rare that we take the time to understand our life. We are born, we age, we eventually die. We can enjoy our lives and we can also suffer in our lives. The awareness of the suffering is what led the Buddha to get involved, to see the process of life, to see that we're born, we age, we get sick, and we die. This is what brought him to deeply question how it all comes about and how to find freedom. To understand ourselves and our life, that's the point of insight meditation, to understand and to be free. This is the path of happiness. It is a path of peace, joy, connection, and inner freedom. Let's just take a moment of silence.
May all beings have ease of mind. May all beings have comfort of heart. May all beings be free. mindfully moving into this short walking session. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.